my only challenge to entrepreneurs is that don't let your pocketbook handicap your vision because you probably are, if you're the CEO, probably a visionary, right? So dream. Don't, don't be like, well, we could never do that. Why not? Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in-the-weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. Hey, leaders, welcome back. This is Ledge. Got another episode for you today. My guest is Chris Jordan. He's the CEO and founder of OmniDeck. And Chris, welcome. I'm going to give you a chance to, you know, introduce yourself and the company. The guest always does it better than I do anyway. Sure. No, I appreciate you inviting me. I'm here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, so certainly not a a tech mecca by any means. Uh, But uh, we we started OmniDeck really to change the way companies do work with one another. Uh, So we allow small to mid-sized businesses to build uh, internet portals. And and, and there's a a whole backstory on why that's valuable and, and, and and how companies are trying to reduce applications and build uniformity. But uh, yeah, OmniDex is a really cool little product that, that we, uh, we think would be pretty disruptive if we, if we make some, uh, some good moves here in the next, uh, next couple of year, years. We're excited and kind of, you know, three years ago, it was a PowerPoint presentation in a garage and, you know, here we are. So. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you hit right on it that, you know, doing, especially a tech startup, you know, sort of anywhere that isn't your traditional uh, Silicon Valley, maybe New York, some Boston, you know, there's sort of places that you can get away with that easily. And I imagine the challenges of being uh, in flyover country, as you, as you said (laughs) earlier, you know, it's just like, the struggle is real, you know, for, (laughs) for, for staffing and for, for money, and all those things. So tell, yeah, just tell the story a little bit because there's a lot of founders that will benefit from that. Yeah. So I, I've, uh, if um, I've, I've kind of ridden every mistake you could make uh, ultimately to get here. So we started really about five or six years with a, a pretty simple vision. It was, you know, I'm I'm not a tech guy. I'm more of a uh, I'm a non technical founder, right? So I'm more of the, on the sales side, you know, product vision side. And and I, I made a very uh, probably naive comment at a trade show one time and I, I it was the first time i'd ever been to a trade show and you see all these vendors right and you're like god dog like how many apps are there you're right and you're, you're, I mean, we, like connex i think it's like four thousand vendors like like there's there was a hundred timesheet vendors i like how many different ways are there to enter in six pieces of information you know and then you start looking at a lot of that at, at just a really you know elementary level it's like you know somebody fills something out somebody approves it and then it probably goes back into an accounting system or a report on it like that in the b2b technology space is kind of like a fundamental flow of processes and, and i said well if you could ever build like an assembly line that could kind of you know capture whatever the data was from anyone that would interact with a business you could do virtually everything inside of a company and create an ecosystem where, hey, it's one one place to go affect everything in the company. And then I got to learn more about how big companies build intranet portals. And I said, oh, that's why they do that. It's because if you got 20,000 employees, you can't have 
50 different applications. You, you've got to at least have, you know, my NBC or my Nike. So at least there's commonality of hey, this is where you go to look this up and this is where you submit if you need to buy something or whatever. So we kind of put all that together and we built a, we started off with $500 and this was, it was just getting started. And uh, I was like, how hard can it be? And uh, so we, uh, so we built the company. The only way I knew how to build a company was just to sell it. I was always on the sales side. So I went out to uh, 50 customers that I, I had sold my, a previous product to. And I said, hey, look, here's the idea. Uh, so I've always had a PowerPoint. It was never, I've never had a product until now. Uh, so I pitched to them. I said, hey, look, here's the idea. Uh, if you put a $5,000 deposit down, uh, when I deliver it, you give me another five grand. And this is, you can kind of have a say in the development. So I went to 50 customers and got them to put that, uh, put those dollars down. So that was where we raised our first quarter of a million uh, to kind of build the product. And we really just kind of built it as we went. And I am a little ambitious as a sales guy. So I said, oh, we're getting this early success. Let's cut a licensing deal. So I went and cut a licensing deal that was way too big than what I should have been messing with. And and the the architectural decisions that we were making were like a one developer in a garage making them not a team of anything. And as that really crashed and burned for us scale wise and, and to the point to where I said I, I, I had to make a decision. Do I either a just stay being a lifestyle company and always be kind of hampered with these early mistakes and try to fix them as we went uh, or B, did I prove out the right idea? I just needed to invest in the proper idea and get out of my way. And and that's where uh, we, you know, we we turned from that being a potential disaster and threat to cash and sustainability to saying, okay, let's go raise some capital. We've proven out that people will buy this thing, the concept's right, and they can afford this. Um, let's just do it right and, and raise the proper funding. So we actually use the success of that, not the bad, but the success of it to at least raise the proper capital to fund the, the true architectural decisions. And we raised about $4, uh, $4 million to date in seed capital just on the back of that success to, to build what you see now in OmniDeck, which is a fully scalable um, application. So it's been a, a series of uh, tough decisions, you know, scrappy, you know, decisions and us kind of learning how to get out of the garage and get into the corporate setting uh, with proper management. So um, it's been, I guess, five years now of learning, learning our trade as we went, but we, we've Cross the chasm to a degree. Yeah. Jeez. So I just want to get this straight. You went to 50 companies and convinced all of them to give you money before you launched the thing. Yeah. 50 for 50. 50 for, well, it wasn't 50 for 50. It's probably more like I went to 150 and got Okay. Okay. I was yeah. like, wow. Like, I'm uh, not that good at this guy. This guy is something yeah. else. You know? so, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. I well, get that. I mean, that, that path is really valuable. You know, sort of like that. Hey, why don't you get early on this thing, prove out the concept with us. You can contribute ideas. You're on our customer council. And I mean, that it's still very difficult, though. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised that uh, even that that close rate on that on that pitch is is high. So, you know what it is? Yeah. There's a there's a herd migration theory. And this is how companies buy apps today is that, you know, they if you if you let them go whiteboard something and design, hey, I know this process backwards and forwards. Uh, here's how we want to do it. And they go diagram it all out. <clears throat> they then turn back around and start Google searching which vendors would let me get as close as I can to that. And they end up kind of compromising their own beliefs to buy whatever app. And sometimes it's as simple as the owner talked to one guy at a golf tournament and said, hey, go buy this software. And the problem with that opportunistically for OmniDeck is that those decisions are very fragile, right? 
And but what what kind of the missing piece is, is that you're always trying to fit the square peg and round hole, technology speaking, and it's always letting them down. And that's why companies, big companies will go punt and write their own software uh, and spend millions of dollars a year. Um, but for the small to midsize guys, they still have the same friction point. They just can't do anything about it. So lo and behold, we come in with this dynamic, hey, build whatever processes you want, build whatever forms you want. Um, sure, they'll they'll pay, you know, five grand uh, up front to have a seat at the table because that's kind of what they were looking for. And, and uh, you know, there's there's challenges in being so dynamic for us, uh, technology speaking. But, you know, it's just a breath of fresh air when you can go into a company and say, hey, look, you know, we're just an assembly line. You be you and you build whatever, you know, some things, most things in the company and, you know, buy the big ticket apps that like the Salesforce and the big project management so project management systems, let those be the drivers of your business, but you don't need 50 other ancillary things to handle all the little whack-a-mole processes. Yeah, right, right. You kind of must have got out early in front of that, the instinct to do no code, sort of your drag and drop form builder type of stuff, and piggyback on that old idea that we got to have an intranet, but then if you really look at you know the incumbent players, like SharePoint is everyone's worst nightmare. It's it's software from hell. It always will be. Uh, you've got Confluence from uh, Atlassian. That one is a, a great product, but is often uh, sort of trapped in the technical elements of the business, and they're trying to figure out how to pull out and you know sort of get into the the full business process management kind of zone with with that and Jira. So you just kind of nailed this little niche at like the right time. I mean, that that is strictly a timing conversation that uh, did you kind of know that or are you more like, well, thank God I had a cool idea, you know, at exactly the right time. <laughs> so. Yeah. So so remember, I'm not I'm not technical. So it's right. not like I'm reading these technical blogs. Right. You know, right. Right. Understanding what the industry is. You know, my the my understanding, there's two pieces that really drove my understanding of, of this opportunity. And and the first piece of it is that all the behemoth software companies um, built their applications as as um, applications first, like Salesforce is CRM. Right. So everything under the hood is, is if, you, if everything's a lead, if you're respectful of that, you can make a lead a tugboat for like the new port of New Orleans. They use Salesforce when every boat that comes in lead and they just named it boat. Right. So if you're respectful of that, you can use Salesforce automation for a lot of things. Uh, uh, service now, everything's a ticket. Right? Zendesk, everything's a ticket. So every one of those companies have this undercurrent and Salesforce, although they're, they're a behemoth, they're the thing that holds them back more than anything is because they're called Salesforce. And usually you just, it's got all the CRM connotation. So what we said is that OmniDeck very uniquely doesn't have any architecture, overbearing architecture. So that's what allows us to easily permeate to be the safety departments, forms and checklists and whatever else into purchasings, purchase recs and receiving to time and whatever, because you give it context based upon what systems you are driving the business. That was kind of a more of a fundamental capture data from anyone or anything. So if you can do that, you can now get divorce yourself out of just one process and you're not hampered by everything's a project like in Jira case, right? Yeah, yeah. You're talking about that's taxonomy, you know, and and business process and business information architects probably eat that up if you have that audience because they're going to go, I want to name the thing the way I want to name the thing. And this is the way that we organize words and concepts in our business. And nobody wants to change that. They're often forced to change it. You know, and also, too, people don't realize that 
there, the reason we have so many applications, like there's a Forrester uh, study. So there's 10,000 applications were on the market in 2010. There's 100,000 now. So you're talking about a 10x in 10 years. There's going to be a million by 2035. And you should have gone like, do we, are we missing all of these things? Like, like in construction, for example, the buildings went up a hundred years ago. Like it, we didn't need any technology at that point. You know, so like why, you know, anybody that's a developer and can build a website there, you're now in the market, right? And you paid 20 cents, you can be on a Google AdWord. So this rise in what they call Appageddon is really becoming very noisy. Uh, you see that with email marketing. I mean, goodness gracious, clutter had to be de developed just to kind of save your email inbox, right? Well, that's only going to get worse. So, you know, you, you get a lot of these uh, function. We step back and look at that as fundamental. Why do we have all of these applications? And this may be a, a nerdy way of answering this, but I believe it wholeheartedly is that your accounting system is the end game and it should be the source of truth of how are you doing, right? Are you making money or not? And it preferably day by day throughout a project life or, or whatever else. And the problem is those accounting systems are old living on servers behind firewalls. So we hate them so much. That's why we do, hey, you know, on the 15th, give me, tell me what decisions I should have made last month. That's what accounting is to us today. Um, we had to build apps that would give us more real-time visibility with those limitations. So now when we started saying, okay, everything's migrating to the cloud now in accounting, it's very early in that bell curve, but you've got like NetSuite and Acumatica and Sage Intact. When those applications stand up and everything's an API connection, you don't need all of these apps. You just need a mechanism to collect data and get it back into the accounting system without anybody touching it. So almost like a wrapper to the accounting system. And when that happens, all the noise will, will really drop down. So we really believe that the rise in all these apps are really out of the limitations of a lot of the legacy software that we just have to put up with, which is accounting. You got to have an accounting system. So it's kind of this boat anchor that's kind of keeping a lot of companies back from really experiencing, you know, am I making money today? What's my, where's that executive dashboard I was always promised, you know, and I can't ever get to. And so that's why we think that what, what really makes us unique is that, you know, there's a lot of kind of light competitors like KissFlow and Monday and, you know, uh, K2, some of those kind of things. They generally have some structure that they have to translate from their accounting system over to theirs. <clears throat> when we just come in and mirror what the accounting system is, no matter what accounting system you're using, that's what allows us to now be respectful of the end game and then capture, be respectful of what, how, whatever processes you want to do to get it to this end game, you be you, and then we'll handle the assembly line, right? And I think that to us, you know, what, what we're really creating inside of small to mid-sized businesses, which really is, makes us a pioneer at our price point uh, and speed of delivery is an appless environment. And I think people are going to demand that, you know, with their just too much technology in the next years to come. Right, right. So you're almost like sort of imagining the consolidation of and not locking yourself into a platform, ironically being a platform. But I could see that you're talking about a, a effectively a middleware with a, a front end that gets out of your way and, you know, moving that data in and out of the, the silos. Somebody needs to be responsible for that. And in that sense, it kind of reminds me of like a, a Zapier with uh, a more business friendly front end. Yeah. Well, I, I think Zapier is very interesting because it's an interpretation of like, we're interpreting the same problem, right? It, but we're doing it differently, right? They're, they, they're believing that, okay, let's connect the whole world through APIs, right? And our thing is you don't need those apps, 
Like that, that's a hundred thousand dollars in subscription service to do like concurs your expense report system. It's six pieces of information with a receipt attached to it. Like right, your, right. Your time is just five different questions than that. You're right? warring but, against point solutions. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. So, it's a, yeah. And, and you know what? Here's why we think we're right and they're wrong. Obviously they're a huge company, but so this is a, a bit of a maybe ignorance. But this is a, exactly what happened in the early 1900s with transportation. So you had roads and you had the combustion engine and no one knew what to do with it, right? You had, today we have the internet and visual studio. So we can do whatever the hell we want, frankly, but nobody's quite figured out how to, how to crack that. And what we see in that, there's a, a great video, 1916 trolley car, or it might be 1906, can't remember, but it's going down San Francisco and it's showing what a road looked like. It's a video. It's great. And there's two or three cars weaving in and out of horses and buggies and people and bicycles. And it, literally there's horse shit on the road. Right. <laughs> and the reality of that is, is that there was no means, no uniformity. Right. And, and we did, had no rules of, of the game. And I think that's where we are at with apps is that we're, we're doing it very aggressively. We're building cool technology and cool best and practice apps. But why? We're not if you look at that transportation, they had better cars than the Model T. It's just the Model T let everybody go the same speed and we could now govern it with, you know, red lights and stop signs, whatever else. So that allowed for a, a necessary retraction in complexity. It became very simple, but we all agreed, OK, we're going to put on our seatbelt and grow, go 55 miles an hour and stop when it's red. So because we were able to do that, we could now create interstate travel. So if you look at why OmniDeck, the, the portal piece is a really great business tool to reduce apps and whatever else. But the fact that we built it like a network is our study and the fact that when these millennial business owners start taking over more aggressively, they do life on platforms. I go to Facebook for the greater good because it's the watering hole, right? <clears throat> the idea of OmniDeck is that I'm inside of my OmniDeck you know, company intranet portal, but then some company needs me to sign a document or answer an RFI or they're commenting on a pay application I just submitted. I'm just chatting with them just like I would in Facebook, but I, it's just applied to B2B style work. And it's free of Microsoft's eight and a half by 11 attachment folder bullshit. <laughs> I just, you talk about that communication layer between different companies, Slack, now Salesforce is investing heavily in connect to to say well we're going to have these conversations you know with anybody anywhere and obviously there's all kinds of you know sort of implications there how do you know what your target is without getting too broad cuz you can try to become all things to everybody in the same way and I was saying well now you're you're making a million apps, <laughs> you know, and it's everybody has their own standard and idea of what's the next vision. And then they're bold. And then also they're difficult from a business perspective to choose, you know? Yeah. So from day one, we always knew where we could, where we could um, spread without compromising our rails, if you will. Right. So <clears throat> one of the fundamentals that we loved about no code is that it's, it's answer type oriented. And there's only so many answer types of picture, text, you know, whatever. And as cool new answer types that we didn't think about, barcoding, you know, whatever, scan, facial scanners come up, you just add that as an answer type and it's provisioned in the database. So that's fine. 
we are a fundamental company. So capturing data from anyone or anything opens up IoT, but we don't really care what the IoT device is. So we do like way stations or facial scanners, uh, things like that, that can feed a process through. But anything is actually portals, right? So you can build your own portal to face towards your subs and vendors and customers too. But we've also provisioned that we can, that's just UI stuff linking back to forms and reports and whatever else. So if you look at our system, I, I think we're, we're probably on the social example closer to more of Instagram than we are Facebook. Facebook is like a million marketplace and all that other stuff. Instagram's not. You take a picture, put the filter on, it's it, right? So we're kind of like that too. Drag and drop the questions on there, approve and chat about it, and you can look at it in the report, right? So because we do that, we don't have any modules. It's a single page application, and we have a core competency uh, that we focus on. We want to own the assembly line. And, and if we master the how pretty and easy and simple it is to get things out, we put a whole lot of pressure on these single apps that do one thing, you know, because the greater good is to have it all in, inside of one system. Master the mediocrity, we would call it. <laughs> well, you certainly have the vision and sales thing down, you know, so you're like, I'm, we're, I feel like I'm, I'm talking to a peer, you know, kind of in that way. I'm curious, like. Talk about your developmental path toward founder CEO, you know, like wh where did this, not this idea, but like, you know, Chris CEO leading a company starting with 500 bucks, uh, you know, before, after, like, what's that look like? Lessons learned, speed bumps, stuff you wish you knew then that, you know, now, you know, those, those lessons are great for other founders. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not classically trained at all. I, I uh, was a professional golfer. So that was my background and I uh, had a career ending injury. So I was going to go prof play professionally out of high school as a top 50 in the world and got talked into going to play one year of college golf just to kind of get a little schooling under me, get another year. And so I did that. Uh, and so I had a scholarship and, and went and played there. On the first day of school, I tore every ligament in my left hip and that effectively ended it. Like I, I kind of rehabbed it and kept re-aggravating whatever else. And so I, I had to take two full years off and then I ended up trying to play golf professionally after that unsuccessfully i always tell people it's better to be a mediocre software salesman than a bad professional golfer so what what that left me with was an enormous chip on my shoulder and um you know with golf you're there's no team so it's very uh individualistic you, you just like winning and it's less you winning it's more beating other people right and that's the thing that just drive drove my motivation uh, was, you know, if I was going to put my name up there and post my score, what's how, what's my outlet that I can somehow get that same, you know, feeling from. And, you know, I saw started seeing like all these, you know, Zucker, the rise in Facebook and you start seeing just massive amounts of wealth and just the the goobers that get on that are the CEOs of these companies are. You know, they're not they're not CEOs. I mean, like Elon Musk is a different story. Zuckerberg had a pretty good idea and stole half of it. Right. So <laughs> it, it's like that that application is a pretty straightforward thing. And, and so you start looking at it going like, well, this guy's making, you know, 60 billion dollar, 80 billion dollar company. You know, you're saying like, if he can do that, I can surely fail elegantly into a, a pretty nice company. And uh, maybe that was super naive and it probably was. But. For me, I just love the business aspect of it. And I, and the more that we get into this app consolidation business, I think that's what drove us is that how could I build a utility that would let me be everyone's worst nightmare in the sales cycle? Because oh, we already do that in Omnideck. 
right? So what what that plays into is that, so I learned <clears throat> licensing by licensing my first product and failing. Uh, I realized the product wasn't ready for that type of scale. Okay, now I had to get the product right. So now we're I'm kind of finally able to execute on these lessons that I learned through all the before mentioned. And, and that's why we're, we're right in the early stages. We're in, uh, under a memo of understanding with uh, the largest accounting software provider in the world. Um, and so we're going to be a wrapper uh, to their cloud ERP system. And what we were trying, you can appreciate this. I, everything I've done is by envisioning an IT guy and a CEO and a CFO sitting in a room ready to write a check. Right. And I loved the opportunity of saying, okay, Omnidec competes with the status quo, not apps. It's you have to you already have these apps today. How do I get off of them? It's a very tough, you know, digestion. Well, when do companies start looking at all of their processes? Well, when they're changing out their ERP system. Everything is up, up, they're writing a big check. They're trying to use as much of the new software as they can, figure out what they can get rid of behind it and enter in Omnidec. And so what we said is that look, if we we want to be part of the sales cycle as offered like it's part of the accounting system. So the comment back to our competitors is not, oh, do you guys integrate with the new cloud-based system? It's more of, oh, the cloud-based system already does that. I don't need your app. And that's what, that's the, all of this was leading up to us trying to create that environment in a sales cycle. And we think that we're early stage. We've got a couple of months uh, that we've got to execute a couple of things to get underneath the full white label for that. But if we do, to be a, a big deal. And, and I think w- one of the other companies that we study is DocuSign. And I've always loved the fact that DocuSign doesn't really market their product. Their customers using it does. It's right? just everywhere. Yeah, right. It just so, pops up. Yeah, yeah. Well, so and as we start, as we start, you know, going into the, now you're talking about a swath of, you know, 30,000, 100,000 customers. One of those customers using OmniDeck invites a couple hundred, a couple thousand new vendors, new subcontractors into the network. And because of that network effect and kind of that viral product awareness, if you were ever going to build something truly disruptive like this and challenge all of this status quo, you know, it's a thesis. We'll figure out if we got it right or not, but we'll at least give it a chance by being in the right position to execute on it. Yeah. You know, I love this because I think us non-technical founders, you know, take a little bit of heat for making companies. But if if everybody is listening and unpacking what Chris is saying here, that message of designing a sales thesis, proving it out in basic fashion, building around it and creating that sales scenario, he just orchestrated the performance and the play. And if when that's done, that's really, really important to build around that. And that nuance gets lost a lot, you know, in strategy that we ought to be building things, not because it solves a problem, we should find a problem that people really have and don't understand and then build things that are easy to sell into that. And uh, you're so right. (laughs) You know, what's funny about you said that it reminded me of Samsonite. That's the, the example they give in business school a lot. Not that I was in business school, I just heard about it. <laughs> but uh, but they said they they went and said, okay, how you know how do people like our bags, right? And they said, well, everybody came back and said that hey, the strap needs to have more cushion because it kind of hurts their shoulder. So Samsonite's solution was put wheels on it, 
<laughs> so everybody thought they were going to come out with whatever it is. So I think what OmniDeck is, it's just a more of a holistic solution to a greater problem that I think every, people are just playing whack-a-mole to. And, and, but back to uh, one last point, I would say the reason I have such an appreciation for the sales cycle is <clears throat> my first job was cold calling document management software in, and I started in November of 2008. So appreciate the recession. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I didn't sell shit for 12 months and I probably made 10,000 phone calls. Right. And all I could, they were with the recession hitting, everyone was scared. Everyone was going out of business. The back backlogs were drying up, especially in construction. That's where I was, I was selling into. And I was just hearing, cause they had time to talk to me at least, uh, you know, what are you really looking for? Right. And that was two and a half years of just it, listen to it objection, listen to CFO objection, trying to value prop, this $50,000 investment into the wind of the recession, right? And you start looking at that going like, I get what you want. I just can't provide it, or at least at the price that you want or whatever else. And and that was one of the, the most miserable experiences of my life, but the greatest blessing in my life too, um, just because you just understand that marketing is marketing. Sales is like an emotional detachment of my dollar in my hand and I'm giving it to you. And, and the difference of what that takes and, you know, building cheerleaders inside of the company and trying to make sure your ROIs are sound and, you know, oh, it's a, it's no fun. I, I have a new, I have an appreciation for the economy being in a good position now because it's just, it was so bad there for a while. And, but that's, that's why I'm so conscious of, of trying to orchestrate uh, everything from the sales, sales event you know, the sales story. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, well said, you know, at the, the number of people I talk to in my various seats that do not understand that difference between sales and marketing is tremendous, you know, and, um, salespeople sometimes get the whole, you know, like, I don't know, you're too salesy, you're schmarmy, you know, whatever, like you're trying to get the deal done. You'll say anything for that stuff. And this, it's just such an interesting thing when you have to get on calls and and it's a freaking miracle when 20% of your calls turn into something. You know, like people say like the hardest thing in sports is hitting a baseball because a 300 batting average is great. Well, let me tell you, if you had a 300 batting average in sales, you're a superhero, <laughs> you know, yeah. and that just doesn't happen. Right. And designing sales channels. I mean, you're talking about partnership channels, referral channels, white label I mean, there's distribution often falls into that sales strategy in in ways I don't think that anybody really quite understands either. You know, it's it's very, very important. Even if you have the best possible solution, it just doesn't mean that people are going to start knocking your door down. Yeah. Yeah. Di distribution is always my biggest focus because mm -hmm. I've never worked for a company that had more than like three employees. Right. So I've always been like... <laughs> right. Like I am the sales and marketing budget, right? <laughs> and, you know, if you want marketing dollars, sell something and maybe I'll give you another whatever a thousand right. bucks to go to a, a trade show or something. And so that's because I learned it from that way. I've been very, very scrappy and and going cutting the licensing deal. I wish it would have gone better. The first one. I wish the product would have been in a little bit better position. Uh, I think we're better for it, not going better. But, you know, there's something to be said, you, you know, going through the act of, OK, who is my, I'm, I want to build a brand. Everybody wants their brand to be the, you know, like the bat logo or Batman logo. But the reality of it is, is that in some cases, even especially at the sales cycle, it's better to be hidden behind a bigger logo than yours. 
And I think that's where a lot of companies too, is that they um, like this, this license deal we're going right now. Um, one of our big problems and we replace SharePoint all day long. That's We're a wonderful replacement to SharePoint, but we have the problem where nobody's ever been fired by choosing IBM. Well, nobody's ever been fired by choosing Microsoft either, you know, and so who the hell is Omnideck? Why do I want to commit every product, every process to this company? And we have to make the case that we're a Microsoft stack, we're Azure SQL, Azure in the cloud too. But, you know, that that's one of those things where that's a whole lot of education that doesn't need to convolute a sales cycle when you go the other route to where now it's under a, a large, you know, publicly traded company. I don't have that objection anymore. It's almost like, hey, look at this new product by this large provider. This thing's better than SharePoint. And maybe it is better than SharePoint. It just is painted, you know, a different color. And, uh, and that's what we've been going back and forth is that I very deliberately don't want our logo on that offering uh, because. I don't want to make, oh, it's one app. It's an Apple's environment powered by this other app that you need. You know, it's, it's better. I, I like the narrative better. Well, yes, I'd like, let's brand. be honest. Like your, your acquisition path is very, very clear there as well, too. So yeah, from an exit so, perspective, yeah. So, yeah, um, no, you, if you can get those guys to fight over you, things are going to be fine. So, um, yeah, that's amazing. And, and I think people say that all the time, like, oh, well, we're targeting people who are, changing accounting systems or ERPs or whatever. And I think it's extremely naive to think that you could identify that market signal and get anybody to give a rat's ass about you from the marketplace at the point at which they are ripping out $5 million of software. Everybody hates everything, change management. I mean, you name it. Like That is not an easy thing to do unless you're the the person coming in to replace. Yeah, I mean, you you really then sort of go, you know, hey, I'm the I'm the little bird, um, you know, sort of riding in on the alligator's teeth, you know, symbiosis, right? You know, and um, yeah, it's it's great, you know, it's it's awesome that you developed that that view. I think that's huge lessons there for everybody. Any general, you know, sort of tips maybe from the just from the founder ceo see like you got to manage a team and there's different things you know i don't know any stuff that stands out as like your major lesson points there yeah I, i'm a big of a soft spot on this too because i you know being in kind of the middle you know a non-silicon valley or non-major port um it, it's always difficult we have a, a really nasty problem i think a, a lot of at least locally when you don't have a ton of capital available that you 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 want to you want to like kind of migrate into service companies mm -hmm. or lifestyle companies just because you, know, you don't want to board of directors or there's not there's not a million dollars sitting around where you can go raise it so you know i've i've been very intentional obviously with lessons learned from the previous uh pivot that if you're going to do something do it right and you know if you, if you need $5 million to do it, go raise $5 million. And it may not come in one dude writing you a $5 million check. In some cases, you would prefer it not be. Ours has had to come across 27 shareholders, but and, and through a three-year period. So at no point in time did we just get some massive slug of cash. We were just very focused on what we were building, why we were building it, the need for scale so that we could actually take advantage of a large opportunity that we created. And, you know, if you have a vision, like I told someone all the time, like, Uber had a vision and like they said, yeah, but I'm going to need like $30 billion to pull it off. Right. And that's OK. You're, that might be your idea. And all, everybody has their own little ideas and what and it could be Uber. Well, you can't start Uber with 500 nothing. 
<laughs> unless there's a B attached to it, right? So I think where my my only challenge to entrepreneurs is that don't let your pocketbook handicap your vision because you probably are, if you're the CEO, probably a visionary, right? So dream. Don't don't be like, well, we could never do that. Why not? You know, that if 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 cash was not an issue, how would you make that? How would you make these decisions differently? And I've always kind of governed myself on that. It's like if I instead of me being a poor man, how how should I be doing it? And I was always I'll have to make compromising decisions sometimes, but I'd always provision for when I have to come back to this. Here's how I'll have to deal with it later. I'll pay for the technical debt now, but we'll fix it downstream. So you're making those kind of decisions on a day to by day basis. But that's why Omnideck is scalable like it is now because we were very conscious of not limiting our vision yeah and nice. I, I would say that's probably my two cents fantastic rap man i love it i'm sure you'll get some attention from this episode if people want to contact you how do they do that yeah omnideck.com uh, o-m-n-i-d-e-k so no c uh, so I don't know how Google likes us misspelling deck, but we'll figure that out. Hey, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm you deck. Com and yeah, you can you can uh, schedule a webinar. We've got a lot of content, uh, webinar recordings and stuff on there, too. So I right appreciate you letting us uh, come on for sure. Yeah, Chris, this is awesome, man. Thanks for the lessons and insights. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.